Hey there, everybody. Bob Beatty Barr here, and welcome to episode nine of the My Friends Are Amazing podcast. This week, me and my special guest discuss everything from sleeping in a hammock to snarky puppy. But first, let's catch up on some podcast news. And this week in podcast news, I uh, just want to talk about last week's episode with John Coulter. It was pretty crazy. Uh, if you haven't listened yet, I highly recommend it. He was the first person, probably the last person ever that I will interview that has punched Russell Crowe in the face. So if you're interested in what that's all about, check it out. Uh, his episode last week helped us blast right past the 600 listen mark for the lifetime of the podcast. And I'm pretty sure after this week's guest, we're going to push right past 750. Uh, just a reminder for everyone who's listening, you can find episodes of this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Just search My Friends Are Amazing in Google and uh, plenty of links to different podcast apps will come up. So pick the podcast app of your choice and hit that subscribe button. Also, if you're looking for something really fun and you're into uh, digital assistants like Google and that woman's name that I can't say right now or she will interrupt me on the podcast, you can just say, hey, digital assistant, play the My Friends Are Amazing podcast on TuneIn Radio. Give it a try. It's actually pretty fun. Uh, today, as always, the podcast is brought to you by Social Imposter, reputation management for social networking profiles. Social Imposter is a customized service utilizing proprietary technology that finds and mitigates the removal of fake social network pages on behalf of high-profile brands, actors, athletes, models, musicians, politicians, military officers, business people, members of the clergy, and their management teams. So basically, if you're on social media and you are concerned about your reputation in that social media and want to protect your users and guests and uh, get those imposter pages removed, you need to reach out to Kevin, uh, Kevin Long at socialimposter.com. He will totally take care of you. Uh, the podcast today is also brought to you by The Bob and Kevin Show. Different Kevin, Kevin G. Uh, the Bob and Kevin Show streams live on YouTube every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Eastern Time. And this week's episode is actually number five. Actually, nope, actually, we're going to have the episode is going to be January 1st. We're going to skip this week because that's Christmas Day. But we decided we're going to go ahead and do it on January 1st, bright and early. So tune in live on YouTube. Uh, each and every week, except for Christmas Day, we kick off the week covering tech topics. We have a featured quiz and other special segments. Uh, we cover a little bit on, on the software Umbraco every week, so be sure to check us out. And we also have our own YouTube channel now. So just uh, give that Google search for The Bob and Kevin Show, and our uh, iTunes subscription comes up number one, but our YouTube pages are right behind it. So go ahead and check those out. So let's talk about this week's guest. This week, my guest on the episode is Josh Beattybar. Josh is a college junior and is studying music business at Elmhurst College. He's always had a love for music and has recently discovered a love for the outdoors. In his free time, he likes to listen to music and spend time with people. He's employed as a barista and as a sound engineer in his hometown of Batavia, Illinois. And oh yes, he is my oldest son. So let's go ahead and just meet today's guest on the My Friends Are Amazing podcast. Josh Beatty Bar. All right. Hey, Josh, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. So you are home. Well, first, I guess we should a little bit who you are. You're my oldest son. How old are you? I am 20 years old. 20 years 21 old. in June. All right. So you are home on Christmas break. Yeah. And you are home on Christmas break from? 
from Elmhurst College. And where is Elmhurst in relation to our house? It's like 40 minutes east towards Chicago. Okay, so how often would you say that you come home on to visit? Not often. Not often. So uh, Christmas break is a decent amount of time for you to be home. Yeah, two weeks we get off. Um, and then are you, are you usually here all summer? Yes. Yeah, last summer I wasn't, though, Okay. because of jazz. And what did you do last summer with jazz? Um, the Elmer's College Jazz Band took a two-week tour to Europe. We went to France, Italy, and Spain. Or, sorry, not Spain, Switzerland. And what do you do for the jazz band? Do you play in the jazz band? No, I run sound. But you do play in a jazz band. Yeah, I play in the lower jazz band at Elmer's, the second, the jazz lab band is okay. what they call it. And why, what is it, why do they call it the lab band? I don't know. <laughs> it's a, the Elmer's College Jazz Band is like the top jazz band and then the lab band is the second band. Okay, cool. Um, all right, so let's talk about the being home on break because I think it's always a, I'm going to put words in your mouth. It's always an adjustment when you come home for when you're gone. Is that true or false or? I feel like it's more so an adjustment for you guys and for me. I can just come home and pick up where I left off. Really? So there's no difficulty of an adjustment for you when you come home to stay? No, not really. I think some people in your peer group would say that it is a challenge for them to come home. Would you not agree? Or is this a a parent-child disconnect? Not, I'm kind of unsure of your question. I would, I would say that no, I don't want to discount it because I'm sure that a bunch of my peers do feel that way. Just in my experience, it's I pick up, I bring some clothes back, and I come sleep in a different bed at my own house. I was when I was your age, I thought it was a challenge because really? the rule set I think was different. Yeah, between I, school and home. You know, I did have that like my freshman year, the first year I came back. <laughs> Sorry. Um, he said like, sorry because he kicked my chair. Yeah, and I, did. I just I made a noise not, on so. the podcast and he glared at me. <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, when I came back my first year, there were a bunch of weird rules. Uh, Mom was trying to do the whole like no cell phones in the kitchen, no cell phones like in your bedroom at night kind of thing. And I don't know, that definitely did make it a challenge because there was so much to adjust to. And I didn't kind of want to like play by the rules, but. But in the grand scheme, though, those are still tiny rules. It's not like they were like major departures from like I would say or I would guess that you get to come and go as you please at school. Right. Right. A little less so since I don't have a car on campus. So it's kind of the same as being here. Like I can go around campus and stuff. But right. But no curfews necessarily. Right. Right. So when you come home, there are those kind of rules. Right. Yeah. And is that difficult for you or. Obviously, it sounds not, like not. But. Not again in this current situation when I had um, a significant other that lived a lot closer. Sure, it was an issue. Um, but my current girlfriend lives in Arlington Heights. Like, I mean, that's where her parents live and she stays in Elmhurst right now. So I'm, I wouldn't be driving back and forth. Plus, if I do go out there, I can just stay there. Right. But so, all right. So you would say for you that it's not that big of a difference when you come home. Correct. So you slide right in and you know, just be you. Yes. So what, what do you look forward to the most when you come home? Like what's your favorite part about being home on breaks like this? Um, well, it was going to be sleeping in my hammock, but again, I think I left it at school. <laughs> um, 
Can you not get back in now? Or are you completely locked out? No, I can. I just didn't think of it when I was there. So how long have you been sleeping in a hammock? Um, I think I did it for the majority of my senior year of high school, right? I'm not sure. I didn't even remember if you came home last summer or not. So I might not be a reliable source for how long you've been sleeping in a hammock. Yeah, I don't remember really either. I believe it was either during my senior year of high school or the summer after when I got the hammock. I'm trying to remember. I felt like you and Owen both did it while you were still in high school, but maybe you didn't. I don't know. Either way, then that would be like a year and a couple summers, a year and two summers maybe. So one of the things you look forward to the most about coming home is to be able to sleep in your hammock. Yes. And you left your hammock at school. Yeah. So why did you have your hammock at school? Um, because when it was still warmer, I would use it outdoors. And like around campus? Yeah. or So how would that work? Like how can you just hang a hammock in, at campus? Well, you got to find the right trees. Um, but then the straps that I have, the way they work, they're just like a long, like one inch wide webbing strap, like nylon webbing, like the stuff we have for our kayaks. Right. And on one end, a closed loop is sewn and the other end, there's nothing. So you'll put it around the trunk of the tree, run the non-looped end through the looped end. And then it just creates this kind of like cinch down. It's not like a knot, but you know, it's like. Right. It just basically tightens on wrapped the around the tree. Right. Yeah. And then I have the whatever. They're like friction locks. You know, you put it in one way, put it through the other way, and then the pressure holds it in place wherever you tighten it. So how did you find yourself wanting to even sleep in a hammock? Um, Like, how do they can, I, can I like drop website names? Is that fine? Yeah. God. Yeah. Okay. Can, yeah. Maybe um, they'll sponsor us someday. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? Um, I joined massdrop.com. You know, the like. Right. Well, first of all, like, let's take a quick pause. There are no rules. Okay. Like, you know, you can curse if you need to. At, okay. Like, I mean, it's just like, this is regular. I mean, this goes out. People are going to get to know you. They know me. They know that I curse. Yeah, there's no restrictions on like, you know, talking about websites. And all that kind of okay. Stuff. So, okay. So back to massdrop.com. What is massdrop for people who don't know? Yeah. So massdrop is um, kind of this like group purchasing website. So you can buy wholesale from manufacturers. And usually when you buy from like a retailer, you pay a markup and things are more expensive. So massdrop is kind of like a third party that puts like, I don't really know how to describe it, but they, basically they, they do like wholesale purchases orders, and right? do bulk orders. Yeah. yeah. And basically like skip the markup stuff. So there were these hammocks as one of like the deal items, you know, and if a certain number of people commit to buying it, you get it at a lower price, like depending on how many extra people join the group. Um, and so I wanted to get the hammock and I was trying to get more people to buy it. So I told Owen about it. He was like, Oh yeah, that's kind of cool. I'll get one too. And so you so, guys got them at the same time. I didn't even remember that. Part. Yeah, that's so that funny. was how it happened. Right. We both had them because I talked him into it so we could get a lower price on the website. Um, so yeah, I I think originally I was interested in in it for like the outdoor use, not so much to sleep in every night. But the more and more I read into like um, hammock camping and some of the like forum discussions on just hammocks in general people would like talk about sleeping in them and equate it to like an air mattress and how it kind of 
conforms to your spine and everything or like a like those purple mattresses or things they're making now so they like they sink enough in the right spots but then they're firm enough to like support the arch right. of your back like hammocks do that all naturally just through the tension of the fabric so i, I thought it was pretty cool and i gave it a shot once we got them and I like that's that. right so we hung it up in your bedroom pretty soon after you got them right i think yeah maybe even before we got them so all right so, no we didn't put those bolts in before you got them did we we i, I think know. we talked about it like how it would work yeah, in your maybe room we discussed it and like but we saw how high one, they had to go right. so i mean do you think like most houses you'd be able to like anchor a hammock in your room because i mean like talk oh, to yeah people for about, sure well i think yes most physical structures of houses maybe i don't think if our house wasn't if our house was a modern house that then inside studs in the walls and stuff they do but they have two by fours i think or two by sixes maybe like you're yeah but i mean yeah but you're I think into those are only big, quarter inch bolts right but i think you're in a four by yeah but remember when we hung the um Remember when we first hung the punching bag in the garage and we hung it from the rafters? Yeah. And when you would hit it, it would shake the entire garage. Yes. Right. So in a newer house, I don't think that putting that whatever that is, quarter inch lug or whatever it is in a regular wall, like a drywall wall, I don't think that would work. Oh. I think it would eventually cause the wall to bow in. But also I would say... I don't know how many parents would let their kids do that to their wall True. anyway. Yeah, and I even – I drilled an extra hole. So I just also have like a quarter-inch like wide, two-inch deep hole in one of the studs of my wall. Well, right you're now. definitely going to have to fix that, the plaster part, before we move. Oh, yeah, okay, if you're going to move, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so you've got this hung up in your room and the first <coughs> – Now you're going to make me edit. God damn it. I didn't want to edit. Um, so anyway, all right. So you've got this hang. So you hang in your room the first night you slept in it. Like how, like, were you like, oh, to be honest, I don't really remember. I think it was probably more of just like, a, oh, this is very interesting and was not uncomfortable, you know. So I tried it again and then I just kept doing that, I guess. I slept in it all summer. And you've done some overnights in it too, right? Like outside. Uh, obviously, when you sleep in it in your room, you're overnighting it all the time. Um, yeah, I have only done one full overnight outdoors, but I've like slept in it outdoors. Right, not completely. But did overnight. you get a netting for overnight? Or I did. Yeah, when I went up to Michigan, the Sleeping Bear Sand Dunes, I bought a bug net. So you have to hang like you have to put an extra um, tie line. I forget what it's called. I think it's called a, it's a ridge line. You put a ridge line above the hammock, which and just that's makes what it you attach the net to, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Except the bug net is doesn't go all the way down to the ground like a tarp would. It just it's like a sphere in itself. It's like an enclosure. And there's like a zipper you have to use to get into it. Oh, so okay, yeah, okay. it doesn't go all the way down to the ground. Right. It just kind of like meets underneath the hammock in the empty air. So is camping something that you would consider like a, a lifetime hobby for you or? I think it could be. It's definitely not. I mean, I hated outdoor stuff we did when I was younger for sure. <laughs> right. That's what I was getting to. But you seem much more comfortable with outdoors now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think when I did this specific camping trip too, I had one of my really like, like I realized that I was into camping more so now. 
I had some of those like fears I had when I was younger. And then I think we've discussed this before, but then there was like, there were those sounds outside at night and I was like a little freaked out by it. And so I kept like shining my flashlight and it was two like field mice fucking jumping around and chasing. Oh, but yeah, but stuff like that in a quiet camping setting sounds giant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think when I was younger, I could put that together. I like always thought it must be something giant. And so when I finally like saw that and had that realization, I, everything kind of settled down. Well, now, all right, so then fast forward to Yellowstone this summer, though. Like, even if it was tiny and sounded giant, I was freaked out because it always could have been giant. True. <laughs> could have been those cows. Well, yeah, but, I mean, even a cow in the middle of the night would scare the crap out of you. Yeah. So that's so funny. All right, so um, we kind of got off on a little bit of a tangent there with the with the hammock, but we might come back to the whole hammock sleeping thing because that is an interesting, like, well, no, let's not leave it because we're going to stay here. So it really, it doesn't hurt your back. No. I just like, don't get okay, it. Let me, let me talk you through this. This is something that I've noticed as a drastic difference between sleeping on a mattress or just laying on a mattress and laying and sleeping in a hammock. Do you ever come to a point like where you lay in the same position so long a part of your body falls asleep? No. Oh. I'm a very active sleeper. Okay. Well, I'm not. Or restless. Just, sorry. I think you can't be restless in a hammock, can you? Well, right. And I think that more so that speaks to me and why a hammock works for me. Not That's not like a something that happens because of sleeping in a hammock. Um, but when I like lay on my mattress at school or like lay on my mattress here for a long enough period of time, like one of my legs will fall asleep, you know, because my weight is just a little imbalanced, like on my hip bone versus my other one, you know, and like. If I'm like kind of leaning on my left side, my left leg will fall asleep. I don't know if that's natural, normal. Well, I don't either. Maybe it's not. But when I <laughs> lay in a hammock, that doesn't happen to me. Well, you should maybe talk to a doctor about that. If there's any uh, chiropractors <laughs> or mattress experts listening, uh, hit me up at my email, bob at babybar.com, and let me know if my kid needs to seek medical attention. Yeah, uh, who knows? So no neck, no back pain, no like... Like, I'd almost feel like my feet would fall asleep because I feel like your feet are higher than your head sometimes. Ah, okay. There is another common misconception. With Yes. So when I say hammock, what do you envision? Well, I guess, okay, this is probably a dumb question for you because you've seen our hammocks. But if I were to say a hammock, I'm imagining most people would envision like one of those nasty, like netting looking hammocks that has a spreader bar and you like hang it on a frame in your backyard. Um, but yeah, these, but I don't even picture that. And I see what you guys look like in your hammocks. And sometimes I feel like your feet well, are you higher see, than you your see head. the fabric of the hammock, I think. So on those spreader bar hammocks, you kind of, you end up in that V or like scooped shape the hammock makes no matter what, when you lay in these like gathered end hammocks, you have the ability to flatten or increase the angle that your body makes by like angling yourself in the hammock, like turning diagonally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like if you lay like flat in the middle of the hammock, your body will totally do that uncomfortable V thing, you know. But if you like lay diagonally to either side, your feet and your head both kind of drop down and you're much closer to flat. But in the mornings, like when I walk through Owen's room, which is a weird design flaw of our house. But anyway, that's another topic for another day. Um, when I interview Owen and ask him how weird that is. Um <laughs> I feel like he is doing that 
or sometimes I feel like he's laying on his side, which would even like freak yeah, me out more. He's weird. Like I think he is also bent. an active sleeper, and so he ends up in some weird positions. But I don't know. Since I am am not like I fall asleep on my back with my arms either like on my chest or like at my sides, and I'm laying pretty close to flat. Really? I just wake up that way. I have to check that out because I don't I don't believe it. <laughs> I think you're lying. Right. Um, <laughs> so what is your um, least favorite part about coming home on these breaks? Um, I think I would have said the curfew if you asked me last year. I think in light of recent events tonight specifically, um, I would say having to unload the dishwasher. <laughs> so having real life regular people like responsibility is a drag. Is that what you're saying? Or yeah, just like ones that I'm not used to, you know, if you get in the rhythm of like chores and stuff, then it's fine. But, but don't you have a rhythm of chores in your daily life? I mean, it might not be unloading the dishwasher, but there's gotta be some kind of systemic like daily routine that involves like minutia and work that you wouldn't want to do. Right, I mean, like getting dressed in the morning or... Well, getting dressed <laughs> in the morning is something that is actually just part of everyday life. Yeah. No, at school, I really don't have a lot of, like, I don't know, bullshit chores like that that I have to do. Right, but don't you think some of that is contributes to structure? Like, I mean, if there's, like, you don't clean your room ever at school? I mean, when it gets to the point where, like, I feel it needs to be cleaned, yeah. But this is, and maybe if unloading the dishwasher was like, do it every Friday afternoon. Sure, it would not be as like weird to me. But when I'm just like going about my day, like scrolling through Instagram or something and <laughs> mom's like, Josh, can you unload the utensils, please? And I'm like, I really don't want to know, but I, I can't just say that, you know, because she'll get mad and I'll sound like a dick. So I just pause my life and do what she wants me to okay, do. Okay, you pause your life for how long? How long would you say it takes to do that? It took me like 90 seconds. Right, so 90 seconds to unload the utensils and then you immediately went back to scrolling through Instagram or... Maybe, I don't know, I don't remember. All right, so would you say that you, true or false, um, have some trouble with structure or... <laughs> it may be true, maybe false, I don't know. So probably true. Well, all right. So let's just say for sake of argument that it is true. Why do you think that that is? I don't know. Well, it's kind of like do my own thing. Wax nostalgic here. Like, oh, let's explore. I don't know what that means. Well, it just wax think nostalgic. out loud. Just think out loud. Like, okay. why do you think, why, why, why do you think maybe structure is difficult for you? I don't know. I don't know. We did. I, we had structure growing up here, I would say. We tried. Yeah. But you never really, like, dug it. I never liked it. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe you could blame the Montessori school thing. There's not <laughs> a lot of structure there. Ooh, that's a good deep dive. Now, all right, you say that, but looking back, because hindsight is always twenty twenty, Right. If you look at that from an unbiased perspective, like pretend that you weren't there, but still look at the way that things went when you were there. Would you say that there didn't have a lot of structure as a true statement? It was not micromanaged structure right. is the statement. So it was macro structure. Right. Like, like today at this time, we're going to be interested in math. 
And so you have a bunch of different math things that you can look at and like, here are some options. And if you're curious about this, you know, do this. I don't know. And you had to do it, I guess, but you could like, <laughs> do it at your own pace. And But you just thought you were doing it at your own pace. There was an expectation of some kind of goal, correct? I don't know. I was very young. Well, knowing what you know about education, would you estimate that there was some kind of goal? Yes, I would assume uh, Montessori schools are very different, though, in the way they're structured than like public education. So I don't really know. I learned about the public side. Well, all right. What do you think? That, well, this is a whole different tangent. So do you think that public education is starting to adopt some of the successful aspects of Montessori or would you say no? I have no idea. I can't say either way. You didn't experience Montessori-esque type things even late in your high school career where it was time to engage in some sort of activity, but there were multiple paths that you could engage in? Or was everybody doing the same exact thing? No, everyone was doing the same thing. All right. Very interesting. So in some of your, so you have friends that are in the education curriculum, right? Yes. So do you guys ever sit around and talk about, um, you know, just educational concepts or theories or what's going to be happening, like what the classroom of the 21st century is going to look like, or I guess we're in the 21st century. Yeah. The late classroom, the late 21st century. No, I've never really had those conversations. So how do those conversations go with your friends? Do you guys like talk about what you do kind of professionally? I mean, you're not really getting, some of you are getting paid to go to school, but yeah, I mean, sometimes it comes up and more so when they're talking about like a specific concept that they've like been learning about and then like they got to implement it, then they'll kind of chat about it. But now there's not really any discussion about like how the classroom is and like how things are changing. And I know that you switched your major because you were in music ed, correct? Yeah, I was in music education. But now you're doing music business. Mm-hmm. So what was the what was some of the deciding factors to move away from the educational aspect? Um, I kind of lost touch with it coming out of high school. I thought, you know, like band was the greatest thing I did in high school and marching band. And so I kind of wanted to continue that and maybe help some student have the same kind of experience that I had. Um, but I don't think that that is quite what teaching requires. I think there's like a whole nother level of caring. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's the best way to put it, but like wanting to help someone have my experience is not what teaching is about. Right. That's more coaching. Right. Uh, maybe mentoring. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe mentoring, but I don't know. On the topic of that, like I feel like mentoring, you eventually want them to like surpass you. Yes. I think if you're um, a good mentor, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, yeah, it was that like needing that extra step that I didn't have. And then that caused me to kind of like lose interest in some of the material that would be relevant for someone who like has that drive to actually like teach children well. But I, I don't know. I just didn't, I wasn't feeling it. So how did the transition to music business come about? Um, with being at Elmhurst, that's kind of the, the closest thing to what I am the most interested in. So I do a lot of, um, audio engineering and recording stuff. I started it when I was in high school. I did an internship at a company called Waveform LLC here. It's like a 
a small recording studio. I got put in touch with the owner by my band director at the time. Um, and so that became like my main interest, I would say the like recording and studio side. And then through work with Patrick, my boss there, I kind of got uh, more interested in the live audio aspect. And so that's kind of like what I want to do, I guess. So, I okay, so that's your main, like yeah, that's your that's, main passion right now is live audio. Yeah. And so what does that look like? So is that concerts? Is that theatrical? Is that could be anything? Um, the theater stuff. Oh, this is a whole nother tangent. Let me answer your first question. Okay. Well, which one is what? I don't even remember. I don't either. So go tangent. Okay. So the theatrical stuff. Um, yeah. So the concerts and the theatrical stuff, uh, the theatrical stuff is a whole nother level than what I've been doing with live concerts um, for theaters, for theaters, you have so many different uh, like channels that you're managing. A lot of the time it's more so just like clicking through presets of like mics and effects and stuff for each scene more so than like, I don't know, actually being dynamic and engaged. And so <clears throat> theater doesn't have that dynamic and engaged or I think it, it totally does, but it's more so in like the pre-production side of it. Right. In the rehearsals leading up. So right. you know exactly what scenes to hit, what right. what effects to play or add or layer or whatever, you, whatever right. you audio engineers say. Yeah. So then, so, so contrast that, compare and contrast that with a live musical performance. With the live musical performance of the size that I've been doing, um, you don't often have time to preset things like that. And you kind of just throw and go um if it were like a larger touring situation and you were like the engineer with a band for a, an extended period of time then you would for sure have presets and stuff like that as well yeah but even so like with and i'm just throwing this out there like with a dave matthews band like a jam band type situation i mm -hmm. mean couldn't even with years and years of rehearsal isn't there always that well even with jazz because you yeah. do the jazz sound. Isn't there always that, that you know, that improvisational aspect of it where, or is the solo always coming when the solo comes and it's always the same solo? Um, the solo is always coming when the solo comes, for sure. That's like a like a form thing. It has to do with the song structure still. So the structure is always the same. It could be a different soloist, for sure. Um, but then that just kind of gets in, like, I don't know mixing like volumes and stuff on faders you could do um very dynamically but your soloists and their instruments are always going to have the same like tone characteristics and usually you'd use the same kind of microphones and you'd have the channels eq'd the same kind of way um and that part wouldn't be so much like on the fly how about like vocal jazz though like that show that you did a couple like a month ago mm -hmm. like is that like crazy out of control is that like hurting cats or um no for that actually since i i do rehearse with them twice a week uh that is much more so prepared so i'll kind of like get everything specked out for the individual vocalists and eq everything and i can find my effects presets that i like and i usually like i can either remember when the solos are coming or i am given a solo sheet and that will have specific soloists on it. So that's a, a little more structured even than the stuff I do with jazz band. But like what if performer B and C accidentally switch mics? 
Um, well, we have a sound check in which they figure out which mic is whose. Usually that's like the first thing that happens. Um, but if they do switch mics like mid show or at intermission or something, then I don't, you just kind of remember it, it and figure it out. Yeah. Sorry. Pause for a drink. Uh, <laughs> um, so, all right. So you're actively doing the sound engineering, um, what is the business music business degree? Like, what is that layer on top of the engineering? Like, where does that fit in? Um, that fits in because that is the only major that is like in this kind of general area. So Elmhurst has a sound production minor. So are you doing that? Yes. Okay. Um, but that is as deep as it gets in the realm of like, recording and and audio manipulation and that kind of thing and i think there's like four classes to that and minor. you've already taken one yes okay um and so like you can't just go to school for a minor right you know so music business is kind of like the larger umbrella that that fits underneath so music business is what i chose for my major and so like how long do you finish that out who knows? Um, I'm kind of in the same spot as I was at the beginning of the semester where I haven't exactly looked into the full pathway in my anticipated like graduation date after changing my major. But don't you have a guidance counselor that would like kind of plan that out with you? Not for you, but with you? Um, yeah, I have like an advisor, but you're only required to like meet with them in depth your freshman year. <laughs> um after that it's kind of an option you don't even like need to talk to them to uh get approved for enrollment or anything you can just kind of sign up for classes so oh sorry we had somebody deliver some uh coconut water to our personality that's on air with us this evening <laughs> and there's your drink break so you haven't really connected with the counselor. You don't really know what that path looks like. Yeah. I had to speak with, um, advisor, sorry, the advisor. Yeah. I had to speak with my advisor for changing my major to kind of get like, not so much approval, but like I had to find out about the music business major, you know, I didn't know much about it. Um, so I met with Tim Hayes. He's the like director of the music business department. Um, and we kind of talked through stuff. And then that was that. I registered for my first semester. He kind of helped to make some recommendations and that was it. We didn't kind of look, we didn't look through the whole plan <laughs> at all. You but you probably will though, right? Cause you need to know what to take next or do you know what you have to take? Well, I, I have looked at the plan and I figured out what I need to take for next semester. Yeah. And what do you take in next semester? Um, a lot of like part twos of classes. So I'm taking music business two. um, I think it's called advanced studies in music business. I'm taking um, music history two. I'm taking uh, digital music two and production of sound recordings. So is that, so is that production of sound recordings? One of the that four is one of the four. And then the part two is one of the four digital as music well. two right. is part of the music business curriculum. Oh, really? I think. Oh, yeah. okay. So the minor is just one part one of that class digital music because you took digital music one this semester right yes but i don't think that's a part of the minor oh 
that's just part of the business music major. I believe so. Okay, cool. And did you learn anything in the uh, digital music one class? Uh, yeah, I did actually. I kind of learned some new workflow tricks and pro tools. Um, and then we did a couple days on finale, which I really have never used before. So that was interesting to learn about. Is finale the video editing or is it finale? No, finale is the no, finale scoring, is like a scoring, right? Yeah. 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 It's like a music notation software. You um, had that for a while, didn't you? We had finale notepad. Oh yeah. Which is like the light, like the free version. Oh, I thought I hooked you up with the full version for a while. Maybe. I don't remember. Yeah. Right, so I obviously learned. I didn't know how to use it right well at all when we had it. So, so you did some scoring work in finale. Did some scoring work in finale, yeah. Um, so that was interesting. We also learned a program called Reason, which is like another. Oh yeah, that's where you chain together like. Uh, yeah, it's much more modeled after like yeah. hardware interfaces. Yeah. Like you would actually have a rack of effects units and processors and stuff. So you get your rack display, and then you can hit tab and like route everything cable with actual together, cables yeah. and stuff. Uh, friend of mine that used to work at Strang with us uh, was big into Reason. He used to do a lot of music stuff with that. So I've been, I was exposed to that a while ago. Nice. Um, so I guess one thing that we skipped over, so you have this affinity for sound engineering, but you also play an instrument that you get paid to play, correct? Yes. And what is that instrument? Uh, the euphonium. It's a low brass horn. It's like a small tuba. It's in the tuba family. It plays in the same range as a trombone. And you've been playing that since fifth grade. Fifth grade. Yeah. So a long how many, time. How many years is that? Eight, maybe nine. And would you say that you are adequate at that, or quite accomplished, or? Mm, I would say like moderately accomplished. I'm definitely not like a virtuoso player or anything. Um, but I play better than some of my peers at school. I'm like right in the middle. Okay. Yeah. Um, would you say you dedicate a lot of time and energy to that craft or fairly um, naturally acquired talent? Less than I would like to. Yeah. Most of where I have gotten today is just doing it when I wanted to do it. And I guess I would call it natural. Like I don't have a practice regimen or anything. Again, I hated that like required practice structure that I had in fifth and sixth grade. Um, but would you say that when you were in those periods of required practice and when you have dedicated yourself to that, you, you got, would you say that you felt like you improved? Yeah. I think putting in time on it would have improved me either way. I definitely could have improved much more if I had practiced oh, yeah. much more. Right. Um, how about like the difference between playing in your high school band versus playing in your collegiate band? Um, just in general or? Yeah. Like just talk about the differences between the two. I mean, the difference in literature, sorry, I keep clicking that. Um, the difference in literature for sure is much more difficult, um, in at the collegiate level, especially this past year, we had a new, we have a new director, uh, James Heil. And he likes to arrange stuff and um, is also more versed in like orchestral music. So a lot of the stuff we've been playing has been harder than stuff that I've even seen in my past two years of college. And like, I'm in the same band, you know? Right. So usually you would expect like the ability level of an ensemble to be somewhat consistent. He's kind of like 
pushed the envelope and made us push ourselves. And I would like to say that we've gotten better in the past year. When you say literature and the, when you're speaking to music, what is that like for our non music listeners? Same as literature is for everyone. It's just kind of like, so the writing, the writing. Yeah. So like the pieces that we play, you um, call that literature. Gotcha. So what about like the length of time that you play for a performance, like the difference between high school and college? Um, in college, it's it's definitely a little longer of... I feel like it's a lot longer. Well, there's two bands at all those shows that you go to. No, but well. just like your individual set, though. Well, when I go to a high school performance, trust me, there's way more than two bands. Really? <laughs> but they only play like, I would say each band plays a maximum of three pieces, like three to four pieces. How many pieces do you play in a typical performance? Like six, yeah, six to like eight. You guys almost play a solid hour set. Mm -hmm. as you know like your ensemble so i felt like we did that kind of stuff when i was high school maybe that's just kind of like a you know you're in it and you're playing and it feels like a long time right i think it's when you go someplace and you say oh when i was a kid this seemed much bigger yeah yeah yeah. so you're yeah in high school you were playing three or four songs and you were out i mean they were great but (laughs) uh not nearly the the length the like i'm just i'm always impressed with the stamina like the, mm-hmm. the whole band has. I mean, first of all, that room is amazing for listening to performance. You guys always sound great. Yeah. You don't, <laughs> you don't think it has good audio? No, it's like the it's the worst. Man. Really? I, I think it always just sounds so like warm and welcoming. Well, yeah. That like the tone character sure is, is good. It's an okay space for that. But for clarity and like definition, we, we fight the room for sure. We'll see. But when I listen to a big like a band like that. I like it when there's like, everything sounds like it blends together and nothing's standing out. But I mean, the solos when like there's, what do you call it? When multiple people play a solo, a soli, is that what it is? I mean, those, I mean, everything sounds great. So from an audience perspective, but once again, I'm not like a sound engineer. So have you done sound in that room? Um, no. Cause the jazz band doesn't typically. Oh, wait. Yeah. For Jazz Fest. Yes, yeah. I have. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it hard? Um, yeah, it's it's difficult, again, in the, the, the clarity aspect. Where so, I don't know. It's much more important in jazz, though. Clarity is super important in jazz. Yes, but it's the, it's the same issue in the wind band stuff. You know, like, you lose certain, like, effects that you can make with the music if you can't have, like, crisp, hard articulation and stuff. Because... Because everything sounds like reverb after a while. Right. Yeah. And so if, <laughs> if you're playing like a like a ballad or something or like a like a big lush chorale in a wind band, sure, it's great. But if you're playing like a contemporary piece that's supposed to have a lot of like dissonance and like like metallic sounds and like kind of things and you're trying to get like an ang- like anxious or aggressive feeling, you really can't in that room just because everything washes together and sounds smooth. So it's probably pleasing as a listener because some of that stuff I'm sure like sounds like shit to people who don't (laughs) appreciate it. I don't, that's probably the wrong way to say it. No, there's some, no, there's some like discordant type stuff that I would say. It's like, man, if I was, if I was in it listening to it, I'd be like, skip, skip. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Ooh. So that's a really good tangent to go off on. So you have a love 
for a style of music that I just really cannot stand. You're back to jazz? Well, I'm back to very specific jazz stylings that you, no like the performances that you guys do at school i love that kind of jazz but what's the band that i can't stand i don't know sparky puppy yes no really do you not see me getting angry in the car when you're like and i'm like nope no more songs no and like snarky puppy's banned on trips as far as i'm concerned man i, I don't know i still just i don't get it all right well then every like, time you say it i don't believe it's true oh, <laughs> no cannot trust this enough it makes me want to kill people <laughs> so um so talk about what you love about that type of music i don't know it gets me going man i you can't it doesn't you can't tap your foot to it you can't yeah, you sing can. along with it yeah you can yes <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean all right so everyone listening has to go out and listen to what snarky puppy would you recommend they listen to um, Something well, that drives me crazy. You probably like singers in your music, so you should probably check out either their album Family Lit- Oh gosh, Family Dinner Volume One or Volume Two. They're two separate albums. Right. So I don't like the stuff with the not singing. So what's okay. a good not singing? Uh, Silva, I think it is. All right. So That's everyone, a good one. yeah, everyone, yeah. check Silva. that out and let me know your thoughts it's on. Red. It looks like puppy. a forest on the cover. <laughs> Yeah, it's the album art. So no, seriously, what is it that, about that music that like is enjoyable to you? All the different instrumentation, the, the different like feelings you get from each song. Um, they're they're very like transformative, like from beginning to end. You know, like it'll start in one place and like go to six different places, and then like maybe end back in the same spot as the beginning to give it kind of this like closed circle kind of feeling. Or like sometimes you don't even get that. And it's just like one long idea. <laughs> exactly. You know? One long rambling fucked up idea. Alexa, I wasn't even talking to you. So <laughs> God, she gets on every podcast. Oops, I thought I heard my name. Nope, you did not. Well, you did after you said it to her. <laughs> so she's been the most recurring guest on the podcast that and Neelix the cat. That's a whole nother reference. Yeah, I'll tell you about it when we're done. Okay. Um, all right, so back to Snarky Puppy. So you're talking about this. Sometimes it's just one, like, one rambling idea. Yeah, just like a string of ideas. Right. So would you say that that music is highly structured or not highly structured? <laughs> you and the structure. <laughs> um, man, that's so hard to answer because in, in terms of form – no, it's probably more loosely structured because you go from like section to section and like, I don't know, different ideas. But underneath it all, like the chord progressions and everything that make up those changes are super structured. And even the relationship between one section to another, that is probably like very mathematically related as to like why the writer intended it to go there and like why it feels like it should. See, I feel like so I don't know. the music of Snarky Puppy is if somebody turned the numeric expression of pi into a song. Because it, I mean, yes, it repeats, but it just feels like it never does. It's just like. I mean, it's just like, ah, it just. That's uh, what makes it interesting, though. <laughs> I don't know, I guess. Um. But it's interesting that I equate it with non-structured 
and you will give it non-structured at the cusp, but then you get down to the hyper like mathematical analysis. And then it is like incredibly structured and that I just can't, it's not melodic to me. I guess I like melodic music. I don't know. There's a lot of melodic jazz. A lot of well, but puppy stuff is melodic. Not the stuff that you've played for us in cars on long trips. I'll play you more. I'll play you some after this. All right, I'll so, change your mind. Well, not that. Not after this. I don't, <laughs> I don't think I can handle it tonight. Okay. Um, all right. So, where do you picture this music stuff going for you? Like after school? Like what's next for you in music? Um, great question. Uh, as it happens right now, I am hoping to start working in Chicago um, in January. A friend of mine who graduated from Elmhurst works for um, a production company and he just introduced me via email to their boss. Um, and they have, they're looking for people to help on their sound crew. And so getting my foot in the door hopefully will lead to some kind of like phone call interview or like in-person kind of meeting thing. and. I don't know. My experience, I think, should be enough to get me on their staff. So, do you like a like? Do you submit a demo tape for a job like that? Like, how do you like? What's the portfolio look like for someone trying to get a job as a sound engineer? Honestly, I have no idea um, because I've never done it before. I still have to look into it. Um, I would assume that if it does go far enough, I would just kind of put together a resume of like all the experience I have in live engineering and probably put some of my studio stuff on it just for background. Um, but then I don't know, since that's primarily like a, like a skill based. Right. Now do you think there'd field, be like an audition or maybe, or I would probably um, like shadow and like maybe get hands on and they would kind of like judge my skill level. That's what I'm, kind of guessing is what will happen. And what kind of live performance stuff does this company do? Um, I think that their founder was originally like a wedding planner. Um, and then she kind of moved into uh, doing like entertainment for weddings and then entertainment in general. So I think they're like event coordinators and they will also provide like music. So do you think it's mostly weddings or is it actually for bands? Or I mean, wedding bands versus like. Uh, I think it's it's mostly like weddings and corporate stuff. Okay, it's so not like event. like a musical event that they do. Oh, so it's like speaker one and then backing soundtrack and transitions between speakers. And yes. Like that. And then I think a dance band like they will do the whole event. So, yeah, you got the grueling corporate stuff or like two wireless mics for toasts and stuff. But then like as the evening progresses, they bring in their own musicians that are a part of their production company. Oh, so and they, they provide a whole Yeah, package. so they have like four bands, but they all, yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's, it's like an event company that provides entertainment as well. Gotcha. Yeah, so I think like I was just saying, they have four different groups um, and you can kind of like mix and match components of different groups and stuff too. Like you can have a stripped down group or you can have like a full ensemble with horn sections and rhythm section or you can just have maybe like four vocalists or something so at this early stage or just like at this stage what does a career in that field look like um i don't know in live stuff it would be eventually moving up to being with like 
a big name touring group. And so then you would basically like get paid either probably on salary to be a part of an ensemble and you are like their dedicated engineer and you sit through rehearsals and stuff with them. You do their shows every night. You become like a part of their group. So is that like a, is that a car house wife dog kind of life or is that not? I mean, like, is that transient? Is that, you know, you have a home base and then you're on the road for 200 days a year or what? I mean, like, what does that look like? Yeah, I think it would be much more so be the have a home base and on the road, like 180, 200 days out of the year kind of deal. Um, Because usually you're not with like two groups or at least not at the same time. I don't know. You can like be an engineer for one group and then like eventually become the engineer for a different group, I think. But you wouldn't do like two tours, like two separate tours. Right. No, I don't think you could because they wouldn't follow the same schedule. Right. Um no or any thoughts or appeal to something like what pat has going on or sorry you refer to him as patrick do you call him patrick or pat i call him pat okay so any like appeal or thought to do something like that where you have your own recording studio or um potentially uh his i don't know his whole thing that's also very weird because it's technically like a multimedia company and we do a lot of like live event stuff as well. Um, I don't think I would want to try and cover every aspect like that. You know, um, I would either want to do like a production company kind of thing where you like help put on live events or just have like a studio. I think he does a lot of different things and it's just too much for me. I'm not, I'm not built like that. (laughs) How now we're going to jump all over the place. How did your um, speaker project go? Your marketing? What? Didn't you do a product marketing thing for school for wireless speakers? Yes. Performance speakers? Yeah. So how did that go? Went fine. It was interesting. Um, Not a lot of it was based around like actual product development and specifics. It was more so just like come up with your product, give us a little bit of details and then like find out all about your target market and do like a marketing mix and stuff. And so what was your product idea again? Um, like a, a line array style wireless speaker, but for performance again, or does that, well, the line array style. Is, yeah. Okay. Those, those are like, I don't specific. Speak, I don't speak that language. Yeah. So. <laughs> there's specific like models of like a speaker cabinet that are meant to be arrayed, like put in series. Usually you have like, you can have anywhere from like two for like a small ground stacked array to like 38 for like a big um, arena show. And so I don't know, it was just for like the individual module. And that was, was that based on any kind of reality or was that just like um, crazy? Yeah. People kind of do the wireless thing for like delay speakers. Usually if you have like a, a very large room, right. you would have like your main front of house stuff at the stage and then, where that stops like throwing enough sound pressure to cover the full audience, you would put another set of smaller delayed speakers. And so you like time align those so that the sound waves arrive at the same time. Right, they're almost the like rebroadcasting at that point. Well, not rebroadcasting. Though. It's the same signal. Yeah. You just put like a, a digital right. delay of like three to probably like 
10 milliseconds. Right, so the wall of sound hits the secondary speakers and it just kind of yes. carries on. Yes, yeah. and yeah. then it would add to there. Yeah. Um, and so usually for delay speakers, they'll like wire a microphone, like a wireless microphone, uh, like transmitter and receiver in reverse. So you would put the transmitter on like an audio output from the console. And then you put like the receiver as the input for the speaker. And just that alone does the delay, or you'd have delay. Uh, the consoles that. usually have okay. Well, delay. yeah, so yeah. You can you can delay okay, specific gotcha, outputs gotcha. from the console. Yeah, so that's cool, but it's a bunch of extra equipment, and I don't know. It's really even not a bunch of extra equipment. I just thought it would be cool if it was all integrated. So that was my idea. Well, so you should probably keep that around and keep putting thought to that and see if it could be reality. Or Maybe just... I feel like. I feel like the issue why people don't usually do it for like large systems is redundancy and um, ah, single like failure, integrity. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So usually even with wired stuff, you have like two sets of like power amplifiers and like an extra set of um, audio feeds, you know, just in case one hardwired feed fails, you have another hardwired one. So if you were doing wireless stuff, you'd probably still have a hardwired feed anyway. Right. So when you do gigs now, do you have like redundancies in place or do you just, I mean, do you um, not have enough equipment? For no, that? we do not. Cause we just don't have enough equipment for that. Um, is that true both at Elmhurst and with waveform? Yeah. So for waveform, we did south. Well, not for jazz fest. That's different. Cause John Bourne, the guy, he's like, like a big, I don't know. Like he knows what he's doing and he makes it a point to do it right. So we do have redundancy for Jazz Fest. So is that out? So is that an outside vendor that's doing Jazz Fest then, or is that still yes. all okay? No, he has his actual own company, um, and he's a third party vendor through the college that gets hired to do that. Um, and then he just kind of like mentors the kids who are interested. Cool. So it's yeah, it's neat. And that's all rented gear as well, right? That he rents. So you have the ability to get more equipment to have those redundancies yeah. in place. Yeah. But for with like Pat, it's just a. It either works or it doesn't. Yeah, there was one, I forget what gig it was, where we actually wired it. Um, so we had a redundancy. I don't remember what it was, though. I think it might have been for... Uh, for the, the gala? No, the thing Best we did in Aurora, fest? it was... Um, oh, for the chamber. Leland Fest. Yeah. Was that for the city? Did you do that for the Main Street? No, people? it was actually uh, Leland Tower. You know, is over there. I just mentioned it when we were looking at the Aurora Snow Globe oh, the yeah, other yeah, night. Yeah. yeah, so Leland Tower is one of like, it's like the biggest um, like apartment building over there, I think. Oh, that's an apartment. And, uh, yeah, it's apartments now. I don't remember what it used to be, but on the like on the top level, the penthouse used to be a recording studio, and a lot of like famous blues albums were recorded there had no idea yeah and so the current owners wanted to kind of like pay it back and give homage to the like music and blues community that was a big part of leland tower and so they put this like leland fest thing on which was a blues music festival and is that going to be an annual gig or uh it was intended to be annual and then there was a big like falling out with the leland property people and the restaurant and something and it's probably not going to be happening ever again yeah that's too bad there was some drama that happened so yeah but that was cool and i think since that was like that was the biggest thing we've ever done for sure and so we ran a redundancy there cool yeah 
That's too bad. It's not going to happen again, though. Yeah, we'll see, though, because I don't know if you've been see, uh, reading articles. The Fox Valley Music Foundation, I think. Yeah. Um, Kiss the Sky guy is ahead of that. Yes. They just got a big grant to build like a live music venue in downtown Aurora. I um, wish it was happening here. Grr. Aurora's a bigger, much bigger city. Yeah. Um, it's not that far though. No, I know. But since Steve from Kiss the Sky is like on the board with them, um, he has reached out to Pat to kind of be like the audio consultant for the whole like planning. And yeah, he's going to need your help. Yeah. That's the hope. When is that supposed to kick off? I'm not sure. That's exciting. Yeah. I think in the next year or two. That's very exciting. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about related to music? Because I'm going to ask a couple different questions. Oh, yeah, that's fine. We've, we've gone on so many tangents so no, far. No, that's cool, though. I think a lot of people will get a lot out of that, that hopefully there's people out there that understand music more than I do. Um, so these are kind of bigger questions. So, you know, in your 20 years so, so far, what have been some of your biggest challenges? Like once one of the like tough moments in your life that you had to overcome or figure out a way to manage? I don't know, man. The structure and organization, for sure. Um, I'll concede to it now that you've brought it up every 10 minutes or so. Um, and I've noticed a pattern that I kind of have to like actually fail in some way for me to like grasp a concept. And like, I, it, it totally has to do with just like me wanting to do my own thing, I think. You yeah, know? but I would say that that's not that's not uncommon, that statement that you just made. I mean, everyone has to fail. Like if you don't, if you're not failing, you're actually not trying hard enough, in my opinion. So, well, go ahead. Yeah. I think that's a whole nother realm though. I'm talking about like, in terms of like organizing stuff and I'm like, oh, I don't need to like do this specific known method to <laughs> stay on like top of my shit. And then like, I don't stay on top of it. And I'm like, man, I really should have tried like that method. And then I'll do it and I'll be like, oh yeah, this works great. But I have like, I just don't want to do it at first. So I don't. And then like, it just gets fucked up. But how's your whiteboard working out for you? That's working fine. Really? Yeah. Oh, see, I didn't know you were using it. No, yeah. I have gotten into it and I've made it a habit because it works. And without it, it really wasn't working out so hot. I think um, Allie might even buy me a planner for Christmas. Maybe I'll start using a planner. Owen was actually talking about getting one of those two for yeah. scheduling. Because one of my things, like I use my Outlook calendar pretty religiously and that's fine for like meeting times and remembering like events that I have to do, but I don't put like exam dates or like. One note telling you, I mean, I don't know if you can tie it to calendar events. For like lists? It's for, it's for anything. Yeah. I use one note for like actual class notes and like. I don't know. It's just my cloud, like text storage. Right, but like, don't do you? So you're gonna carry a paper planner? Yeah, maybe. Okay. I, I mean, know. I guess analog works for well, some people. Okay, no. So I thought that digital would work, and it. I make to do lists for all my classes, and like uh, the way I have my OneNote stuff organized. So like I have a notebook for Elmhurst, and I have a notebook for my personal stuff, and a notebook for like my old high school stuff. And then I have all my tabs for Elmhurst from like my sections range from a, another personal tab, like a music tab, one for every class that I've had, um, an, like office of residence life tab for my RA stuff. And then like the note at the top of each section, I always keep it there is like to do. 
right. and I'll put in like stuff I have coming up or like if there's homework, I'll like try and put it in there. But it's such a pain to like go in and type it in on my phone or like <laughs> remember to type it in on my laptop or like check it. I think you could do it most audios too, though. Like I think so. Text I, to speech, I would, speech to text. Well, yeah, but if I'm like sitting in class and my teacher's telling us homework, <laughs> right. I want to be like one note, <clears throat> you know, like this assignment's due this day and then it'll probably not get every single word that I say correct. So I'll have to edit it anyway. And I think, I'm not poo-pooing the physical planner. I'm just trying to figure out how that works for you. Well, right. No, and are. this is my explanation because I have tried it and it doesn't work and I've had some setbacks because of it. And so I think that I've seen people be successful in their experience with like paper planners multiple times. I know a bunch of people that use them and it works for them. So hopefully it'll work for me. So do you think you'll reach out to them and ask for like their pointers and like where their oh, yeah. pitfalls? I'm going and... to talk to Allie all about it. Oh, so Allie's a digital or a physical planner. She's a paper planner person. Oh, okay. So we haven't talked about your relationships much. Yeah, I know. I, I saw you type it on your notes and then delete it. Oh, I did actually. You're right. <laughs> um, so how is this how is this relationship with Allie different than the others? Um, I don't know. It's a lot more laid back, which is very much my speed. Um, I don't know. I just feel like both of my previous like long-term relationships were kind of like young, just in the sense of like everything that happened, the way things like interacted this time, I'm like, I'm doing my own thing. You know, and I don't so much worry about like, I have to work towards this. And Allie's kind of doing her own thing. And then like, I don't know. So do you feel it's like, laid back. do you feel like Allie makes you better, a better you? Yeah. How? I don't know. Like this whole proponent of uh, the physical planner, that's kind of like the upfront thing that we've been talking about. Um, I don't know. Do you guys, I don't know specifics. Do you guys find yourselves working together to make things happen and work instead of one driving the bus and the other one just going along for the ride? Or I'm putting words in your mouth to try to spawn conversation. Uh, yeah, I would say so. I don't. I can't think of any specific examples offhand. Um, I don't know because I feel like a part of it, and the reason this has worked so well is that they're like it's two separate individuals right like all my other stuff was like music was the core thing oh really yeah kind of like i don't know i don't know man it's weird to describe yeah we might have to come do this again just to talk about that relationship aspect of it because i think it's an interesting conversation because you're saying things that i didn't think of but the whole like music being part of it well that couldn't yeah. have been that way of I mean, I guess that's where the other one started. Yeah. But yeah, I don't I don't think it had to be like an explicit thing that was always like the focus. But kind of like what I said a minute ago, Allie kind of does her own thing in Music Ed World and like is doing like other things throughout her day. And I kind of get to do my own thing. I don't know. It's kind of weird, but it's good. <laughs> yeah, relationships are kind of weird, so I, I'll let you get away with that one. So on the flip side of, uh, well, I guess we'd talk about biggest challenges. How about, like, what are some of the most proud moments or, like, the highest highs you've had thus far in your 20 years of existence? Like, what are some highlight moments? 
Hmm. Accomplishments, I guess. Like, what kind of accomplishments? Um, doing stuff with Pat, like every good show that we've had, every successful thing, I'd say is kind of like a high point for me. Um, being uh, auditioning into the wind ensemble at Elmhurst every year so far has been nice. Um, so do you have to re-audition for your spot every year? Yeah, every oh, wow. year. And this year, new, it's every semester. So, so you have another audition or you already had it? No, we will have another one. So since January is J term, this weird gap thing that's like not a requirement and you just take like one offshoot class. Um, We're going to have the whole month of January to prepare. And then auditions are going to happen the first day of rehearsal uh, when we come back for the spring semester. And did you bring your horn home? No, because I'm going back for J term. Okay. Oh, you're going to live on campus for J term. Yeah, I'm taking a class four days a week. Okay, all right. See, I don't even know when my boy's <laughs> going to be home and when he's not. Um, so for this audition, does that determine your scholarship maintenance or not? Or No, the only condition of my scholarship is that I have to play in the band program. So it could be the second band even. Yeah, I could be in the second band. Still but you'd have to tumble pretty far for that, right? Yes. Okay. Because are you top in like you have a community band it's like a mix of students and community right what do you call that i don't know but you have community community members members. right yeah there's no it's just elmer's college wind ensemble a community band usually means like all right only people from the community but you're the top student player in your section though right Uh, i was up until this year yeah oh new freshman knocked you off your pedestal no actually another kid switched over from trumpet yeah a trumpet player knocked you off oh that's got to be tough it's technical ability man like i said it's back to the practice thing if i had put in my time on fundamentals and stuff or if i still put in my time um which i just never really have so um maybe i would be at that level but trumpet's much more competitive than euphonium and right to get this far as a trumpet player you kind of have to do all that stuff so yeah he's just much more technically and in the grand scheme of things playing the euphonium in that band is probably not a top priority for your life right now. Correct. So what are those other things that are taking top priority over that? Um, trying to get more like time in audio engineering, uh, like trying to find this thing in Chicago. Um, I don't know. That's just like, but I've, I've sensed that you've said that I feel like in conversations you've had not on this podcast that you might be growing out of it. Like you've talked about even selling your horn. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I think I'm connected to music in more ways now than I was when I was in middle school and high school, you know, um, like band was the only way music was a part of my curricular day. Um, but now I have jazz band rehearsals that I go to. I have uh, vocal jazz stuff where I actually get to go like mix them two days a week. And like, I love to play. Sure. So I'll probably continue to do it, but it's not like, I don't know. I don't want to say it's not a passion of mine because I still definitely like enjoy playing and I'm passionate about it, but that's not like what I want to work towards. You know, I go to rehearsal and I play in rehearsal and I practice maybe an hour a week. Right. You just fulfill your obligation. Yeah. I fulfill the obligation and I have fun while I'm doing it. 
but like other people who want to do that and that's like their top thing, they'll practice like 20 hours a week. Oh yeah. Yeah. But what now well, do you think you're playing right now with players who will play after college? Oh yeah. Oh good. Cause there's yeah, some really sure. awesome musicians in that. Band. There's yeah. There's a lot of performance majors in the band too. And if like, I don't know, performance majors are just going to school to play and be professional performers. Now I heard a rumor that you were asked to do some uh, music for a podcast. How's that going? <laughs> yeah. Um, I kind of said I was going to put it off until I was home for break and I guess I'm home for break now. So yeah. All right. So, um, we are an hour and eight minutes into this. How was it? It was good. Didn't really feel like an hour and eight minutes. Right? So. Nice conversation. So the last thing that I ask everyone when they're on the show, because you should know this because you've listened to all the podcasts, chuckle, chuckle, chuckle. <laughs> um, I ask, who is someone that we both know that you think would be good on the podcast? Oh, that's a good ending question, man. Um, Pat? You think, I think Pat would be good. Yeah. Be a lot of yeah buddies and we'd have a good time. Yeah. He's got so much. Uh, all right. I think that's a very solid recommendation. Oh yeah. And I like it because I can, well, actually maybe we can record it in his studio and see how we could do with really good sound. Yeah, you could actually, he, there was a woman that was going to rent out his front room like once a week for a podcast for podcasting thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember if that ever went through or not, but. Very interesting. I mean, yeah. that's very interesting. All right. That well, be cool if you're going to do like a video podcast because you could kind of maybe have some kind of actual soundstage or. Well, I, I do do a video podcast on Monday mornings. We go live on YouTube. Me and Kevin, the Bob and Kevin show. Oh, yeah. I'm sure well, you've watched all the episodes of that, too. I've watched one. Yeah. All right. That's better than the podcast. then. <laughs> all right, Josh, thanks for being on. I also give my guests every week the opportunity to. Uh, end it with uh, some closing remarks. Got anything you want to close out with or you just want to say goodnight to everyone? Um, I'll say sorry that it went on so many tangents. I know you kind of had a structure that you maybe wanted to follow, but I had um, everything. Felt very natural. We covered everything but being an RA. So I think we did really well. All so right. thanks for being on. And uh, I always reserve the right to call back a witness. So maybe we'll have to do this again. Yeah, I'll do All it again right. for sure. All right. Have a great night, everybody. All right, so that was a pretty cool episode with Josh, my oldest son. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And uh, I guess this is probably an appropriate time since uh, we're just a few days away from the Christmas holiday to say Merry Christmas to everyone. And uh, hopefully uh, you'll tune in next week for my guest next Thursday. Uh, Big thanks to the sponsors of the podcast, socialimposter.com, and also the Bob and Kevin show uh, featured every Monday morning, except for Christmas morning uh, on YouTube. So check us out. Thanks and have a great week.